Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk. Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I'm the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for a brand new episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan, and for this particular episode, it's one of our special review roundup episodes. Uh, What we've done for this episode of the show is we've strung together a bunch of our Patreon-exclusive episodes where we review Amazing Spider-Man issues 789, 790, and 791 for you to listen to. Each of these episodes was originally released solely to our Patreon subscribers uh, the week these comics came out, but we uh, plan on releasing these roundup episodes when each new storyline concludes, so uh, about every six issues or so. Yeah, it'll change as time goes on. But uh, yeah, we're going to be um, you know, doing the fall of Parker in these issues. Uh, we've already recorded our episodes recapping most of the Venom Inc. storyline up through uh, Part 4, and that includes Amazing Spider-Man 792, 793, Venom Inc. Alpha, and Venom number 159. So if you want to follow along with our reviews of Amazing Spider-Man as the issues come out, the week they come out, please be sure to join our Patreon Members Club. You can find us on Patreon or go to SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and click on our banner that reads Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Talk Members Club and signed up. Uh, so let's get this thing going. We're going to start off with our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 789. Uh, this is the issue that kicked off the Marvel Legacy Initiative in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man and restored Peter to a more classic status quo after the end of his multi-billion dollar company, Parker Industries. All right. I hope you guys enjoy the review. What's Today, we are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, this is crazy to say it, 789. Uh, we're finally back to the legacy numbering. Uh, how exciting is that? It, it is exciting. I know it's such a silly, non-essential thing. I mean, it's not like the number on the front of the comic makes me enjoy it more or less. It's about what's in the comic, but I don't know. The The... The guy who's been collecting Spider-Man comics for almost 30 years now, who has all of them, except maybe one annual, depending on 
what the outcome of that argument you and I had a few weeks ago was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's cool to see that back. And I mean, not only is the numbering back, but like you can tell there, there, there seems to be a vision in both Spider-Man and just across Marvel's line of kind of getting back to its core and to the roots of what makes these characters so great. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a perfect issue uh, to kind of discuss the uh, positives and negatives of that. Um, what that means for the kind of Marvel line. Um, certainly I think, as we discussed on a recent episode of the show about the street fight in Spider-Man, this promises to be kind of a reboot back to basics for Spider-Man um, on the positive for people that want that. But then there's also the idea that like these characters aren't allowed to grow if they're, if they're made to be somewhat regressive every now and again. Um, and, and maybe that's endemic to this kind of superhero comic line. And I, I hope we can get into discussing topics like that. I don't know about you, Dan, but like, you know, specific to Amazing Spider-Man 679, I definitely got a brand new Dave vibe to it, which to me was kind of the last time Spider-Man went back to basics, which, you know, when you think back now is almost 10 years old. It's more than 10 years old, which is pretty substantial. I mean, it, feel, it doesn't feel that long ago, but it is, you know, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, it, it just it's it's. You know, just kind of getting back to the root of who the character is, especially coming on the heels of something that was very outside, I feel, of everybody's comfort zones about what a Spider-Man comic should be. And that's not a criticism, but, I mean, it definitely was outside our comfort zones, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's still some new wrinkles to this that are interesting. Um, they're new in, like, a very kind of, like, gray-toned sort of way. It's like the fine details that are kind of new um, about this status quo um, that I'm excited to see play out. But yeah, this this issue is, you know, falls right in my comfort zone in in what I regard as a Spider-Man comic. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, just for those who haven't read it yet or have read it and need refreshing. I mean, it's the part one of the fall of Parker. We're now dealing with the fallout of you know, where Peter Parker's life is um, post Parker Industries and him basically dissolving his company to save it from the many tentacles of the superior octopus and Hydra, um, which is just, you know, speaking of outside our comfort zone, it's just kind of outrageous things to be saying. Hydra and, and you know, Spider-Man fighting Hydra and Doc Ock, like yeah, with superior Ock. I mean, it seems seems a little crazy. Um and it's it's you know we're back to Peter the kind you know the loser if you will but also the outcast I mean he's he's some of this has been kind of self-imposed but it, it, you know it seems like as of right now there's really only one friend in Peter's universe and it's kind of this odd somewhat awkward relationship with Bobby Moore slash Marking Mockingbird. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things before we even get into the content of this issue, and I guess it has something to do with the content of this issue, is early on in the Parker Industries Volume 4 era, we had discussed, you know, eventually this is going to have to be undone, right? Like, he was never going to be Tony Stark forever. Um, although certainly sometimes it felt like it. Uh, 
so they had to get him out of this. And one of the things that we kind of were worried about was how do you get him out of that situation without making him a loser? And I think we both agreed that the previous, I guess, like two issues ago with the actual end of Parker Industries, that they handled it quite well uh, by having Peter make a decision that maybe from the outside he would look like a loser or, or something, but like the readers would know that he had made a good decision that was an honorable decision that didn't really tarnish his character uh, more than it tarnishes his ability to kind of do both the good he wants to do and operate a business. Do you feel like that decision holds true in this issue? Is Peter made to look like a loser? Or is he still kind of the strong character that we want to read about while also being a business failure? Um, I think it's a little of both. I mean, you know, there, there, there is a scene where that kind of nuance and, and, and detail is, is right in the text. I mean, I'm thinking of when Peter marches and to me, this was a genuinely funny scene in the comic, Peter marching into the daily bugle newsroom where, you know, and kind of trying, attempting to chew out Robbie for putting a headline of Peter Par- uh, Parker menace. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, he, he, he basically makes his argument like, don't you know that, he did this for for the better good, and then Robbie kind of lays out, yeah. But in doing that, he also, um, you know, put millions of people. Millions is a lot, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it's possible that there are millions of employees, but I mean that that might be a little hyperbolic. Um, Wasn't he maybe, uh, also including the webware owners? I guess so. Uh, <laughs> I think you have out, to. Yeah, uh, but people are out of a job. You know, people who are relying on this technology can't use it anymore. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of, and and it's there's a currency to it, and 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 a and a meta ness to it in terms of um, what's going on in the real world right now, where you know, if a billionaire decides to make a decision. You know, the ramifications can be huge, you know what I mean, <laughs> in terms of um, even if they feel it's for the better good or not. I mean, you know, it's it's it relates to the news and, you know, Peter kind of makes his case here and he kind of gets shut down. But and he, you know, kind of backs down like, yeah, I guess you're right. But the same token, he's still got that information out there as a reminder in case someone was just jumping in like, yeah, you know, this is not, this is not all in a vacuum, you know, like he, he, he made an, you know, he, 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 he chose being a hero over being a good businessman. And and we know that, but the fact of the matter is in choosing to be a hero, he, he in turn became a bad businessman. So, you know, what do you, what, this is it was it was a no win situation. And I think we talked about that in our last episode uh, or not our last episode, but our episode where we talked about the end of Parker Industries, where it's like, you know, it, it mirrored things like Crusher Hogan and these other great stories from the past where there it is no win for Peter. So, you know, what do we do from there? Well, I'm so happy that you say that, because um, especially about the business choice not operating in a vacuum because I felt like after Superior Spider-Man all the actions of that series like 
operated in a near vacuum. Like there was no real repercussions for the choices made in, in that series. And here it seems to be all repercussions. And to me, that's what's valuable about serialized storytelling is that each thing matters to the next story, you know, building on top of it. And this felt like a very organic, uh, next step for the character. Um, do I love that Peter is like living on someone else's couch and kind of wallowing in misery? Not really. It's not how I wanted to see the character be long term, but um, it's a realistic moment for the character and uh, one that I expect to see developing over the course of this particular arc, the fall of uh, Parker. Uh, you know, I, I you know if he's going to have a modicum. Of, a win at the end of this story, whatever the story shapes up to be, I imagine it will be, uh, to some degree, coming to terms with the choices that he made, you know, um, and the larger effect of them. Yeah, and I, I get what you're saying about like crowd uh, couch surfing Peter, and is this really a long term direction for the character? And I agree, it's not. But at the same token, again, like I felt that there were some genuinely funny and 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 just nice character moments. That came from uh, couch surfing Peter. I mean, especially vis-a-vis Bobby Morse, who, you know, for the most part, this is a relationship. Not that I don't care. I hadn't cared about it. But like, you know, I, I, I didn't feel truly invested. But like, I feel like in light of this new kind of status quo shift, the fact that he that she's basically the only one that is is having him there without judgment for what he did as a business um, she has plenty of judgments for who, how he lives and, you know, his, his inability to do laundry and things like that. But I mean, I felt that these were kind of cute character moments and it, it was making the pairing seem more endearing to me for the first time. I don't know if you felt that at all or if it's still not working for you. No, it's totally working for me. I mean, I, I find it endearing that not only is she able to like look aside him, he also has great respect for her for what she did in, uh, by kind of like leaving S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, in a key moment to help him out. So there's a sort of kind of, you know, a mutual respect that the relationship is founded on. Even when he is in like a dark moment, she understands where he's coming from. And that, to me, is really kind of honest to a lot of healthy relationships. Even though I think if he continues to just be a like crouch surfing bum, you know, this relationship might be headed south quickly. Um, but I, I, I'm honestly excited for this. I know we got like the kind of like Kitty Pride relationship in the Ultimate Comics, but this to me seems like a black cat kind of thing, but without the negatives of uh, you know, her being a sometimes villain thief, you know? So I'm curious to see like what this relationship might look like in the pages of Amazing Spider Man as a kind of dynamic we've never seen before. Yeah, I mean, she's every bit his equal. I mean, that that seemed and and we really haven't had that in a relationship with Peter since MJ, if you think about it, in terms of, and and you know when I when we talk about MJ being the equal, I mean, it's not even, you know, it's later MJ. You know what I mean? Like after after years of development. So, yeah. but you know, like. Yeah, there's not there's not the 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 moral dilemma that comes with Black Cat, um, nor is there kind of like the, you know, 
Bobby is special because the writers are tell, keep telling us that she's special that we've had with past girlfriends like Gwen and Carly Cooper and people like that where it's like, you know, you know, what is the actual chemistry between the characters here? Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, she's a superhero. She's a good she's a she's a top notch spy. She 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 has a life outside of Peter. I mean, and I guess that will be the complication is, um, you know, will those lives um, interfere with each other. But, uh, for the most part, it, it, like I said, I feel like they're, they're, they're equals in a lot of ways. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Um, and, but it's also something I want to keep an eye on. You know, you say that they're equals and previously we've kind of dinged this comic for having, you know, Spider-Man often play backseat to his supporting cast who often gets him out of scenarios. And that's sort of true in this issue, right? He's kind of wallowing in his own, failure and she is able to kind of like take him out on the streets and remind him you know of the good things that he does and i think that's a really warming thing i want to keep my eye on it and be sure that they are portrayed as equals to a certain degree and it's not mockingbird that's always kind of supporting the relationship in a very one-sided way it would be great to have a, a relationship not only like you know a, a emotional and loving relationship if it gets to that point um but but also a like kind of like relationship between a supporting cast character and Spider-Man where they are treated as equals and they're, and they're not always bailing Peter and Spider-Man out from one scenario after the next, if that makes sense. Totally fair. And by the way, I mean the, the, the Peter Bobby moment, you know, when they're out and about, I mean, this is a, this is a thing that slot of well slot has kind of gone back to a few times over the last few years. the, uh, let's find a random loser villain and have Spider-Man fight it for, for, you know, while other stuff is going on to kind of like almost serve as a fight while exposition is going on. But it, it I got to say, it's worked almost every time. And, and I feel, you know, here using the Griffin uh, <laughs> <laughs> to kind of advance the relationship with Peter about it was great. I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Just like when we had, um, what was it? The iguana and yeah. Peter and, and who was he? Was he with someone at that point or he was like on the phone? Phone, right or something yeah, he was or, on the phone i think with anna maria during that yeah and then of course we had the uh, white rabbit and and you know in volume three i mean these are these are fun scenes and and like i said i i, I enjoy using a very kind of low stakes villain to kind of push those narratives forward yeah especially when dan slot inserts his own sort of like uh mocking uh of villains uh motivations like here he's just like I don't need money. I'm just going to go straight for the empanadas, you know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm going to spend the money on the empanadas, so I might as well just steal the empanadas. <laughs> yeah, that, that was great. And and Eminem, of course, like, I mean, we'll get into him, but, uh, like, the way he rendered this villain, it's like, oh, this guy is so visually interesting. Like, what a great choice for, if you're going to have him beat up on someone, might as well be someone as cool looking as the Griffin. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Griffin is a cool looking villain, period, but for the most part is a very lame villain. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, just, just kind of another thing to note in this comic and, and, you know, I talked about this in the review. I mean, I felt like, um, there was definitely a lot of, um, focus and work played into reestablishing Peter's core supporting cast. And by that, I mean like the, the old guard. And, and, you know, I know we had a lot of supporting cast during Parker industries with, um, 
Anna Maria and Philip Chang and and was it what's her name Lee Lay Lay I, I I can't remember I'm terrible <laughs> I'm sure I'll get hate mail for that like every time I say Sanjani wrong or whatever um. <laughs> well, well your mispronunciation or 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 lack of knowledge about this name kind of says everything you need to say about those characters as supporting characters in that volume right and I and I know like I I, I miss I I guess I. I don't want to say I misspoke, but I kind of made it sound like in the review that Philip Chang was a new character. I meant more like kind of part of a regular part of the cast. It was a newish thing over the last year or two with Parker Industries because he was part of the Parker Industries cast. Um, But like as far as I'm concerned, when you talk about Peter's supporting Spider-Man supporting cast, we're talking about Flash and Harry and Betty and MJ and... Uh, Robbie and Jane and Jonah and everyone and Aunt May, of course, and everyone but Jonah is in this issue. And we even have like subplots developing with Harry and Liz Allen. And, you know, Betty's still doing her thing. Flash is, you know, I guess they're probably teasing the Venom story coming up and, and, and what Flash's involvement might may or may not be in that. Um, and it just felt, again, like very comfortable. And I love these characters. There's a reason why they're the classic characters um i mean am i overstating how they're being used here or is this just nostalgia talking or did you feel that they were used well here no i loved it it's like going back to a shorthand that's very comfortable and the daily bugle showed up in a sizable way it just it hit every note right and it makes you wonder like why would they ever deviate from this like maybe it's to make it feel special again but, it, you know, like, just by doing a simple Spider-Man thing, it suddenly feels special uh, all over again. Yeah, and to go back to what I said earlier in our review, Dan, I mean, it, if it's very reminiscent of Brand New Day. And I know that people kind of take their shots at Brand New Day because Brand New Day came forth from One More Day. But you and I have been on the record many times over and saying that, the story, Brand New Day itself and the stories that came from Brand New Day were great. Like it was like the most alive and vibrant that the Spider-Man comic had been in years. You know, like it, it, it felt like it had a new lease on life. And, you know, and there were new characters that, that were certainly part of the cast then, like uh, Lily Hollister and, and um, you know, All there the were new mayoral Bill, candidates and the mayoral candidate, Carly Cooper, who yeah. I mentioned earlier. But like at the end of the day. We were still focusing on that. I mean, there was a great Peter Betty Brant issue. There was the great uh, Flash flashback issue, which is probably one of the best like one and done stories we've had uh, in recent memory on this comic. Um, There was great Harry stuff in that. I mean, you know, obviously the Daily Bugle and or the DB and and Frontline. I mean, you know, we're all essential to this comic. it, you know, like I think I said in the review, play the hits, you know, just play the hits. It works. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> you know, I know I know you. there's a lot of artistic integrity and in like that that nine minute jam that you came up with one day. But just play the hits. <laughs> but every once in a while, you got to take a swing for a superior Spider-Man. Right. I mean, like that. That's what our show was started on, you know. All of this comes from our passion about that book. I just think doing that over and over and over again, you kind of want right the comfortability of the hits. And you said it in your review, and I totally agree with it. This 
feels like what volume three was supposed to be, you know, a return with lingering consequences. And I'm, you know, like to, to my mind, the more I think about it, like even the less I blame Dan slot is that like, there seemed to be these forced events that we got it. We had to hit and it threw that off, you know, gear. And if like six months from now, I knew, or like, you know, or even like a couple months from now, I knew there was a big event coming up, and maybe this Venom story is that, this big crossover, although I don't think so. Um, this book, we like the first issue of Volume 3 as well, you know? So it could be, you know, that this is a flash in the pan, and we're headed back towards that kind of thing, but it seems to me like Legacy is saying we're not doing events, and to me, that's really exciting, because I'm hoping that they can stay at this level of quality throughout this continuing run. Yeah, because this, this, there already seems to be a discernible difference because, I mean, you know, we were a few issues into Volume 3 and then we were getting um, Original Sin and Silk and Cindy Moon being introduced. And like that, like to me, that was kind of the beginning of the end. I mean, we didn't love how the first arc on Volume 3 finished out, but I don't think we were like really upset with it, but it was kind of like, from Silk on where things started to get really squidgy and then we ended it with Spider-Verse, which when you think about it, wasn't even supposed to be a Peter story. It was originally meant to be a superior Spider-Man story that got changed. And, you know, in retrospect, there was kind of like there's been this conversation of, oh, how can you do a Spider-Verse event without Peter? But the way it ended up, maybe there was a reason <laughs> why it was pitched without Peter, right? I mean, well, in, that so, would... in some ways it read like a Spider-Man story without Peter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Peter elements were the most forced and uncomfortable parts of the whole storyline. So, um, you know, I think there's something to it. I mean, you know, I, I, I you know, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, Dan Slott and, and his execution of certain story elements are now without fault, but, um, when you kind of put everything together and, and see where Dan Slott's been over the last six months, I'd say, I mean, he's been on a pretty good streak now, I'd say, um, you might be able to kind of look back in, in, in with hindsight and say, hmm, maybe that wasn't really his fault, you know, or all his fault. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, people like to blame editorial all the time and we're, we're, I don't know if we're necessarily saying that, but like it's this kind of overall idea about Marvel. There was a reason they needed to do this legacy thing. And I think this book to me at least feels like ground zero. Like this is what legacy is promising uh, to the readers. Just don't Um, blame sales or Tom Brevoort will yell at you on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Certainly nothing is motivated by sales. I couldn't imagine Right. But but putting I mean, but in all seriousness, if you put aside the sales, which is a big thing to put aside, but if you put aside the sales, I mean, like there there was definitely a sense that that things with Marvel was it was kind of a runaway train and and, and running in and just kind of getting away from everybody. And and this really feels like a very deliberate recentering um, that was needed. I, I think it is needed. I, I, I mean, we'll see where it goes from here. But, you know, between this issue and then the legacy issue that we talked about last time, I mean, it seems like they're really trying to, to cultivate and, and procure trust again in terms of like, you know, we we know 
who our characters are and what makes them great. And I I think that's just what we got to keep coming back to. I mean, I know I keep saying that statement a lot, but these are these are great characters. This is these are some of the greatest characters in comic books. There's no reason that that DC characters outside of Batman should be making Marvel eat its lunch. So, you know, make those characters great. I agree. Now, let me ask you about the kind of like going back to the classic characters and and their and their kind of classic characterizations. Um, you know, that's all great and we're loving this. But there is a potential downside to this and and fans equally complain about this as well, like not allowing Peter to mature, right? He wasn't really allowed to have a child. They whisked that away from him. He wasn't allowed to be married. He wasn't allowed to, you know, like all these things that would allow the character to grow. And say what you will about, you know, uh, Big Time and Parker Industries and all that stuff, it was an attempt to allow Peter to grow, grow into a new role, right, and challenge who he is and what he does as a hero. And putting him back in this way, we'll see what they do with it. It does feel like a regression in some ways, even though it's being handled quite na- naturally. It does seem like a way to put him back where he's comfortable and not necessarily allow him to grow. And I, I think that's even reflected in the really weird moment in Spider-Man 2. I don't know if you've been reading that series where uh, Peter comments that he's only three years older than Miles. You know, it's like literally, like whether that comment is true or not, he seems to be kind of shackled to being young and youthful. And if he was only three years older than Miles, that makes him like early 20s, which is not right. So something was weird going on in that that book, but there is a sort of arrested development on the Peter Parker character. And I wonder if you fear at all that this reset is another version of that and that we're just kind of glossing over it because we're enjoying it in the moment. I mean, I think I got to see where it goes. I think it's, it's too early to say that. I mean, you know, I mean, if there has been one consistent thing about Dan Slott since he took over as the sole writer of this book is that, you know, he is always trying to push Peter in new directions. I mean, he never settles for just doing it. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, heck, even when he was writing as part of Brand New Day, I mean, it was his stories that always kind of felt the most boundary pushing. So, I mean, let's see what happens. But, um, you know, of course, if the character stagnates, I find that problematic. But, um, you know, at the same token, we were 10 years removed from kind of the last time we we went over this ground, which might sound like, okay, I mean, you know, you and I have been reading since then and then some, but for a lot of people, this is new ground, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And there is new, there is new ground here. Like, I don't think we've ever seen Peter so publicly disliked. Like that's really interesting. So that isn't necessarily a new, that it could be a new ground if that's what they stick with through this run. I mean, think about it. Think about it in these terms, Dan. In the 90s, when it was the Clone Saga, 10 years before the Clone Saga, it was Roger Stern and Tom DeFalco writing Spider-Man. You know what I mean? And th- it's so like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> a lot happens in 10 years. You know what I mean? Like it's it's it, it, like like people come people come on the book, people come off the book, readers come on and come off the book, editorial comes on and comes off the book. So like just because we're kind of going back to this well of of a more traditional Spider-Man doesn't really mean that it's it's stagnated because I mean I certainly wouldn't say that 
Roger Stern and Tom DeFalco Spider-Man was stagnated, but it certainly was more traditional than the Clone Saga. That's true. <laughs> where, where you know, we had progression to the point of a f- major fault with the character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think it's just something that's like endemic to superhero comics. You know what I mean? And like that people kind of like want to read the essence of the character to some regard. Um, and, you know, and I also think that this seems like a natural progression for the character, whether, whether he's returning to familiar ground or not. So I don't certainly see the problem with it. I just thought it was something we should address because it is a common complaint that people have is that like, oh, this character is never allowed to really grow, you know? Um, right. And, and I, and I, I certainly can imagine some fans reading this and being like, Oh, a loser, Peter Parker. Haven't we been there before? You know, um, so right. there's even a big guess, piece on IGN right now about this. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. Although, I mean, again, to to my point, you know, we're we're I think we're far enough removed where the fan base might look different than how it looked the last time we went over this ground. You know, I mean, like we got to remember that. You know, sad to say, Dan, you and I are not the target audience of this comic anymore. You know, like we're, we're you know, we're, we're, I mean, yes, the legacy numbering targets us. But other than that, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's it, the, the goal is still to bring new readers into the fold and, and to kind of procure and, and cultivate the readers that came on over the last few years or so. Um, where, you know, the old farts who will buy the comic no matter what, they know they have us in the bag. <laughs> so I've lost all my hair since Brand New Day. There you go. <laughs> and maybe it's related. I, I don't know. <laughs> I was I was single and without child bef- during Brand New Day, <laughs> with the start of Brand New Day. <laughs> your, your past 10 years seem far more uh, eventful than mine. I lost hair, and you gained a family member and a wife. There you go. <laughs> well, you gained a wife. Yeah, that's true. You're right. I'm married. I'm, yeah. <laughs> and you have two cats now. I do. So there we go. Improvement. <laughs> um, you wanted to talk a little bit more about imminent earlier. Um, I think we should just hit, hit to that before we get to our, our grades. I mean, you know, <laughs> what is there else to say this, about Stuart Eminent? I mean, I, I, is it a coincidence that this book has really just hit a new gear since he came on? I, I mean, I'm sure there are other factors that are contributing to the, the, sh- the very big increase in quality in this book, but my goodness, he just brings it every issue, even in an issue that's relatively quiet like this one. He's, he's able to sell every emotional beat, too. You know, like it's the, it's, 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 you know, it's the artists are like the directors in a, in a lot of way, you know, like they can really shape the performances of the actors, right? In this case, it's the, you know, characters drawn on the page, but like there's not a face or a body posture in this that's not really well thought through. It doesn't also convey like a lot of emotion and really bring these moments to life. I mean, Peter in this book is totally different than he was drawn a couple issues ago in regards to his body language. Like, he's slumped over, he's kind of messy, his hair is up and, and all askew. I mean, it communicates everything you need to know through the imagery, you know? And, and I think Dan Slott has been wise to kind of rein himself in, I think, a little bit, because he doesn't need to... Uh, be more flowery in it with his language, like maybe he would have to do with a uh, common Coley, which is nothing against common Coley, but like Stuart Eminem is in, is in a league all of his own as a comic book artist. If, you know, if, 
if you ask me. And uh, I mean, I, this book is operating on a level that maybe Amazing Spider-Man books have rarely, if ever, operated on in terms of art. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been talking for a while. I mean, and again, this is no disrespect to Camo or Uberto Ramos or, or any of the people who have illustrated Spidey over the last decade or so. But, you know, we, we, we really haven't had a superstar artist on this book probably since, what, J.R.J.R.? I mean, you know, and I mean, I guess you could make a case for Marcos Martin, but he's... He's so his work is so sporadic, like it's never like a prolonged, you know, creative run of art. And and, you know, considering that Amazing Spider-Man is one of Marvel's flagship books, you would think that they would want to get one of their A-listers on it. And they just haven't for whatever reason. But Eminem kind of breaks that trend. And, and it's just it's just so night and day in how this book is. So I mean, you know, talking about directing the scenes and whatnot i mean like i'm thinking back to even peter kind of marching into the daily bugle i mean the the framing of of that panel and it's not even a close-up of peter it's it's him in a distance in a hoodie kind of looking like like a crazy bag man yelling in the middle of the newsroom and there's <laughs> all this space around him as like the reporters are just kind of looking at him like like disgustedly it's it's a great moment where the humor of it is really sold by just how uh imminent frames frames the entire scene you know i i, I it's just like you said it's it's these little things you know this is not a big action comic this time around there's only a few scenes of peter actually in spider-man garb and and of course those were beautifully rendered and there's the fight with the griffin which was great and the griffin looks great but it's all these little scenes that uh, of people out of costume and interacting Harry and Liz and their little secret tryst. And it's these they there's all these great interplays with these different characters and there's chemistry between these characters. And I think it's Eminem bringing it home. I mean, it's, you know, yes, Slot is obviously scripting it, but Eminem is bringing it home. I like, I'm thinking of Robert, Robbie Robertson's like knowing look out of the reader about Peter's, you know, like potential role at the Daily Bugle working in the science, like, I guess, uh, section of the paper. Um, but another thing that really, like you just talking about all these things going on, another thing I'm so glad of is there's no need to include like an overarching villain for this arc and introduce it in this book, right? There's no right. winks and nods to like playing the long game. Right. There's no two page cutaway to another scene that has nothing to do with the main story being told in the book. There's no setup for an event that's going to come 18 months from now. Like it's just telling this story. And thank God, you know, like uh, that has been a plague on this title for for years. And yeah. and this is so fresh and 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 just focused. Absolutely. No, it's 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 really great, Dan. Um, any other comments on this before we wrap? No, I'm just so excited about this book again. And the past few months have really just turned me around on on this creative team and the editorial staff that's backing it. I like hope that this is um, if every Marvel book is like this, I'll read every single one of them. Excellent. So what's your grade? I'm giving this one an A minus. And I'm right there with you. A minus for me as well. It's just really job well done. 
Well, uh, everybody, I hope you enjoyed listening to that review. I know some of you are probably thinking, man, that issue came out forever ago. I'd really like to listen to this the week it came out. Well, uh, that's why you should just subscribe to our Patreon page so you could do exactly that. Remember, if you click on the podcast or the icon on SuperiorAspireTalk.com, you can get to our Patreon page. And for just $3.99 a month, Dan, that's the price of one comic, you can join us as we record these episodes. Yeah, and I hope you do because it's really a great way to support what Mark and I do and allow us to keep doing shows like this one book guests for our regular show, and find time for all the research it takes to put together all the various seasons of our show like ours. But uh, enough plug-in, Mark. Let's get on to the next review episode. This time, you and I discussed Amazing Spider-Man number 790, so I hope you guys all enjoy listening to this. Today we're going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man 790. I love saying these big numbers. Um, This one, (laughs) of course, is the second volume in the Fall of Parker story with uh, Dan Slott writing and Stuart Eminen on the pencils. Uh, Another uh, 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 exciting chapter in this new era of Spider-Man. Mark, let's just get right into it and talk about this book. Because it's an interesting one. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, Dan. Um, you know, and from some of the kind of usual routinely critical places on the internet, like I saw some talk of, oh, you know, it's Spider-Man versus Human Torch and over the Baxter building again. We saw this during volume four. Or I think it was Amazing Spider-Man number three, which is true. Uh, we did see it and there was a repetitiveness to it. There's no question. But like I I still feel like I liked this a lot more because, again, we I feel like since this book, I don't know if you call what it is, a reboot or whatever or renumbering has, you know, it's ever since Legacy has started, I feel like Dan Slott and Marvel, I mean, they're really trying to get us really deep and reacquainted with these characters again and how they're all involved with each other and the dynamics of it. And Peter's B B cast really feels important again in a major way that we haven't had in years. So like seeing him go at it with Johnny, whereas was, was quite familiar, just also felt more justified and, and personal this time. And there, there were stakes. It felt like, I don't know. I thought there were more stakes to it. I mean, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's 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 a repercussion, right? Like, we're feeling the repercussions of a failed promise. And to me, that makes sense. I still don't know if I buy that these two guys would, like, throw down in such a, like, dangerous way, not only to people and property, although Dan Slott is sure to spell out that the building has been emptied. It just feels very irresponsible to these two, for these two guys that, who seem to be fighting in somewhat with their tongues in their cheeks if you will um right. like there's a jokiness to it um and i that's that's a hard thing to get past but i totally buy like 
how angry Johnny would be. And I think it's beautifully rendered by Eminem with these kind of like images of Johnny just like absolutely in flame that are really wonderful. To me, that wasn't the highlight. Their fight wasn't really the highlight of this issue. Uh, no. The highlight to me is just the continuing of this continuity like and yes. the repercussions of uh, uh of uh, of what Peter has decided to do and that we aren't moving on from it. Like that is the exciting thing to me. Like seeing Peter in boardrooms apologizing to people. It's not the most exciting comic book stuff, but it's doing what I've always wanted this book to do for years now since the end of Superior, which is like stick with something and actually follow through on it. And that to me is exciting. Yeah, I mean, and to your point about Johnny and Peter, I mean, again, it's it's more showing the consequences of those failed promises, you know, which is something that, you know, we we haven't had in a Spider-Man comic in a while, this idea of consequences. I mean, you know, the the whole idea, we, we just spent over an hour, Dan, talking about the origin story and what it means and its importance and why it's why it gets redone and the value of it. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, at the end of the day, Spider-Man is a story about responsibility. It's a story about consequences. Um, you know, how your house, how Peter's actions have very large ramifications, even when he doesn't mean them to have those ramifications. Uh, and this reboot or whatever you want to call it, is not shying away from that. And, and like, I, I, I really kind of tip my hat the way you are here to Dan Slott and to Marvel for, for, for sticking with it and, and, and for like not being afraid to maybe sacrifice something that's not as visually arresting for something that is more, um, true to these characters and is reflective of what these characters should be going through right now. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. I do want to return to, uh, Peter having consequences for his actions when we talk about when Clash comes into this story because there there is a moment in this issue that strikes me as rather odd given yeah. Peter's origin story. But I do want I do want to spend time talking about like Peter and the fall of Parker Industries because um, I've, I really like Harry Osborne's role in this book. Um, you mean the uh, condo flipping finance bro? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I misspoke. Harry Lyman. Right. Uh, I, I want to be clear on that. Um, you know, he's supportive of Peter in a way that, uh, like, it's truly how a friend would be. And I, I appreciate that we're not headed down the path of Harry becoming this kind of vindictive, you know, uh, like ex-business partner, at least not yet. Um, he seems supportive like a friend would be. And I like this turn for the character. Now, by the end of the issue, he's like storming off in anger. But, uh, you know, I imagine it just means more complications for Peter down the line in terms of having to corral Harry a little bit. Um, but, like, uh, we're not diving straight into kind of like enemy territory here. In fact, there's not really a villain in this book. I mean, he fights with Human Torch and he fights with Clash, but then ends up teaming up with both of them too. So it's an, it's an interesting path to go down. Yeah, I mean, I will say, and I think I mentioned this in the initial review I did a few weeks ago, I mean, like, 
and you and I have kind of talked privately about this, Dan. I mean, the lack of a villain is probably the one demerit against this story so far. Like, I'm kind of waiting for something beyond like these like little passing battles. You know, whether it be the Griffin or Clash was kind of the 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 villain that came and went here. Um, you know, it, 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 at the end of the day, this is still a Spider-Man comic. You kind of want to see whether it's Doc Ock or Norman Osborn or Electro or Sandman or whoever, but you want to see like what's it as, as Peter is dealing with being at rock bottom, who's going to be the villain that kind of rises up that makes him have to not only deal with his, his business life being in disarray, but his Spider-Man life being in disarray. Cause that seems to be the one thing that's not in disarray right now. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm willing to wait, uh, for venom in the next arc. Uh, to make a big reappearance because that's something I've been waiting for forever. You know, a proper battle between Spider-Man and Venom. So for right now, I'm just enjoying this. Um, but uh, but back to the point you made about Spider-Man being like the more comfortable role uh, for for Peter. You know, what with you know Peter Parker being so publicly shamed, I'm hoping that you know by the end of the next issue that this kind of fallout of the Parker persona and, and, and issues continuing on after that kind of goes somewhere, I guess, particularly in regards to his life in New York city, because right now I feel like emotionally it's really connecting for me, but I'm curious what it means for the character that's slipping into the role of Spider-Man is an easier thing for him to do right now. We've seen this kind of before. There's that whole like weird, uh, you know, the spider, era of the book where mm. he kind of fell into that persona. I don't feel like this is going to that kind of a dark place, but um, it, it's a theme that's repeatedly being hit. So I'm hopeful that this goes somewhere beyond just kind of lip service in these first few issues to be like a big part of this continuity, like in this, in this new story that Dan Slott's going into, because I think there's a lot of material there for, you know, in reintroducing the cast in a big way, but having Peter Parker be the difficult part of his life. Yeah, definitely. Um, just a little nerd note here, Dan, that you picked up on. Uh, I just, I, I didn't notice this. The, the, what, what was Clash's hideout in this story? Yeah. Um, so Clash's hideout in this story is the beyond forever nightclub and truly nerdy Spider-Man fans will pick up that, uh, the Beyond Forever nightclub is where we met the Hypno Hustler for the first time. That's the nightclub that it was at. Um, Dan, but- you are just becoming the master of Easter eggs, man. Between this and all your Spider-Man Homecoming stuff, I, I don't know. You're, you're putting me to shame, man. Mark, it, you continually put me to shame, but it's, it's arbitrary nonsense like this that I can pick up on. <laughs> you know what it was it seemed so specific that like i was like oh like why would they name this i don't know what this beyond forever nightclub it is and i was thinking like what nightclubs would possibly be and i just opened up my issue of you know the hypno hustler and was like oh there it is it's the beyond forever <laughs> nightclub so there you go uh that's what it is um, this issue also seemed, I, I believe, to have the first Spider-Man in continuity appearance of Shake Shack. Yes, I was particularly pleased by that. Uh, Shake Shack is the ultimate burger place uh, in in our burger chain. I don't care what any of my L.A. residents say about In-N-Out. It doesn't compare. 
It's it's I'm I mean, I'm not really arguing with you, Dan. I mean, I'm just I'm just shocked that, you know, Mr. California here is like not like praying at the altar of in and out. So, um, you know, interesting. I may live in California, but my culinary tastes live in New York. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm I'm going to just throw a bomb into this and say I don't know if waiting 45 minutes for a burger like you would at Shake Shack is worth it at the end, no matter how good the burger is. But, you know, it is a good burger. I will say that. All right. All right. And their and their concretes are good, too, which is what they call their shakes. Oh, the shakes are are great. Oh, yeah. 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 But anyway, we digress, Dan. <laughs> don't get me started because I'm liable to start up on how I feel about L.A. bagels. And we don't want to go down that route again. Ugh. That's not a. They're they're not bagels, whatever they are. No, they're not. Yeah. Anyway, um, what else you want to talk about on seven ninety here? Well, let's talk about Clash and his reappearance because it's certainly interesting. He's returning to kind of like his Robin Hood role that we got established, you know, a few issues back. Um, in that kind of you know bonus sized Amazing Spider-Man twenty five, right? That's where that was kind of revisited. Yes. Yes. Um, also worth noting that, you know, this book was, you know, while you know, Dan Slott plotted it, Christos Gage wrote the dialogue and Gage, I think, I don't know, would you argue has the best clash so far out of everyone? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if we're counting kind of the, the, what is it? The civil war two story. Like, yeah. That I would was think so. The best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean like, I, I, I think this is a pretty good, iteration of clash here um his justification for wanting to get back into parker industries before it like shuttered down completely and get back the tech that he invented totally justifiable which is like you know pinpoint definition of a good villain is you know are they justifiable are their actions justifiable and i would say that that's the case here so um you know again it's it's working in these little bits what what we're seeing with clash lately I liked all that. I wish we got to see some of Clash's powers because I think they're always fun to see visually on the page with letting the letterer kind of go crazy. Um, yeah. But uh, I was a little disappointed in how this whole thing wrapped up that we, you know, we were talking about repetition with the Human Torch story, but this actually seemed like a big repetition for me, even like, you know, further back to the first story in big time with that kind of sonic reverberator thing that could destroy the whole block that's where we go again you know and we have these people fighting to disarm this bomb um which i feel like dan slot has done a number of times and i was like not really invested in that and then spider-man just kind of lets clash off the hook uh which he's like well he meant to do good so i'll just let this burglar go away and for that being Spider-Man's origin story to, you know, not let people get away, like it kind of smacked me as like, shouldn't you be the absolute wrong guy for this kind of thing? Not to mention that he has like strung up his henchmen who are going to be prosecuted via whatever the law, but the, but the villain in charge of it, he's going to be like, well, it's okay. Well, Clash can go off and rob me another day. You know, uh, I don't know. That just seemed like a weird way to end this book. Yeah, it was a little abrupt, <laughs> abrupt and out of character. But, you know, alas. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but the book doesn't even end on that. It ends again with like, you know, Peter's, you know, reflecting with, you know, Johnny about his failure. And I just love these kind of friend scenes where Johnny is like supportive of him. He's like, yeah, you messed up. And, you know, you should learn that about yourself, that you need to not be the CEO. You know, you need yeah. to be the guy who's doing what he does best, you know, and and I, I have really appreciated reading that page. It was a nice reflection on on everything that happened in, you know, volume uh, four. Yeah, I mean, in kind of a also obviously a true nod to, you know, to all the people who are like, oh, you, you can't tell this story of Peter as a CEO. It's unnatural. Well, it's like, yeah, it is. But that's why we told it because to, to, this is what would have happened. And it, it, it ended predictably, but it, it was the journey that got us there that made it interesting, you know? Yeah, and there was that interesting line from Peter where he says, like, I feel like I – I forget the exact line, but he's like, I feel like I squandered something that I'll never be able to do again. And yeah. in a way, it's Dan Slott being like, we did it. Now no one can ever do this kind of story again. Yeah, very true. Yeah. So so uh, do you have a grade on this, Dan? Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about Eminem, but, I mean, the guy is just rock solid. Um and I liked his redesign on Clash with the mm. kind of um, the, like the circles on him that kind of flatten his perspective a little bit. Did you did you pick up on that? Um, yeah, I know it was definitely it was it was a definitely a good look. And, and I mean, Eminem again was his usual on point self. I mean, you know, as we kind of alluded to earlier, though, I mean, you know, these issues, if you know, in addition to lacking a villain, I mean, if there's any kind of flaw to them is. You know the chances for for Eminem to really go crazy are somewhat tempered here. You know, yeah. like it's you know he takes advantage of the opportunities he gets because he's great. But um, and I still feel like he's kind of really driving the narrative in how he kind of paces the pages. But you know, we it, it's it's not peak Eminem <laughs> from an artistic right, standpoint. Right, right, right. <laughs> Well, every book has got to have some time to breathe a little bit. So I'm, I'm giving this one a B, but that's like a good B. Like, I'm like, this is like not groundbreaking, but it's exactly what the series needs right now. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's a B and like, a, yeah, it's, it's a B I feel good about. It's not like, a, well, I guess it's a B. No, it's a B. <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy with it. All right, cool. Uh, I'm glad we got to talk about this. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that review of Amazing Spider-Man number 790. Uh, you know, let me tell you guys a little bit more about our Patreon page. Dan, Dan, come on. This is not like a PBS fundraiser here. No one wants to hear more about the Patreon. Our listeners know it's the best way to support us and get all these amazing episodes for just the price of one comic a month. So let's get right to the next issue, our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 791. So let's talk about Amazing Spider-Man 791. Uh, this is the end of the fall of Parker, three-part arc. And, um, you know, starting right off from, from the uh, the get-go, that cover with him kissing Mockingbird. I think, Mark, you and I have been kind of criminal in our lack of mention of the details on the covers of these books. But I wanted to point this one out because I just think this one's a knockout. 
Yeah, it's certainly one of the better ones. And, you know, it's it's you know, I guess we don't talk about the covers all that much because, I mean, there are all these like Alex Ross interpretations. I mean, I, for the most part, like Alex Ross, but like, you know, I always used to kind of like him when it was more of a special event. Like, oh, he's doing a cover. Isn't this cool? And like, you know, for for the better part of what, like three years now he's been doing these covers so yeah you're kind of like oh it's another alex ross cover but this one is especially especially great i mean it's it's very dynamic it's it's kind of playing up this spider-man bobby romance which you know we'll talk about when we talk about the the contents of the issue itself i mean but it's like becoming actually a pretty interesting b story i think in spider-man right now so um good all around yeah nice to have a good old romantic sexy cover to just lock it in yeah and it's it's romantic and sexy without you know i don't there's no cheesecake in there or anything like that you know it's like (laughs) it's just kind of like spider-man kissing a girl there's nothing nothing inappropriate about that right (laughs) yeah and she looks awesome too so that's you know that's good too right she she can be her own cool person yeah so uh look at us being being good that way uh (laughs) But no, I mean, in terms of the 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 contents of the story itself, I mean, you know, Dan, I I, I did the review for this one on Superior Spider Talk, and uh, I enjoyed it again. I think this whole arc as a whole has been a very good kind of jumping on point for readers. Um, it's been dealing with things well. It's been dealing with Peter and his supporting cast well. Um, there's very little I would change. At the same token, like, you know, there hasn't been. A, the, I felt the greatest through line with the the dramatic elements of this story and especially in terms of villains and how they're treated but i mean i guess we're just having a cooling off period and we're going to get a lot of that obviously in the very near future there's going to be a venom story there's going to be a it sounds like another osborne green goblin story so you know i guess we could cool our jets a little bit when it comes to that and just focus on peter and this cast what about you i mean generally i mean i i I feel like you probably like this even a little more than i did yeah, I think that's safe to say. I mean, uh, uh, I don't think that this is like a three-part story that has like a beginning, a middle, and an end, really, other than kind of following Peter through, you know, getting a job and, and kind of locking in this relationship with Mockingbird. Um, it's almost like three one-shots in, in a row, uh, you know, single one-and-done stories in a row with like a light through line like we used to get in kind of old school Spider-Man tales, you know, like not, there wasn't, you know, there isn't necessarily a villain. I mean, even when we do get a villain of some sort in this issue, it's like resolved in a kind of offhanded way. Um, but I found this whole thing really, really refreshing. And, you know, if, if there's one thing I read Spider-Man comics for more than anything else, it's the characters and the supporting cast and how Peter's world works. And I got, more than I uh, could have expected out of this. And at the end of the day, you know you know what the big takeaway for me was? I really liked reading this Peter Parker. I like this guy. And it has been a long time since I've really liked Peter Parker. And uh, I found someone familiar in this. And, and it's like re-meeting an old friend. And that, that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, especially the consistency of this Peter Parker. I think that's worth noting because, I mean, we've seen this Peter Parker kind of poke his his ears out, if you will, multiple times over the last few years. But we haven't gotten like a consistent dosage of this guy. 
um, you know, without some kind of self-sabotage or out of character spin or anything like that. And, and, you know, in terms of any possible issues I might have with this comic right now, Peter Parker is the least of my concerns, which at the end of the day, when it comes to Spider-Man comic, that's all you can ask for. I mean, you know, like they're, they're, it's very rare that everything is going to be executed with 100% precision. But, you know, make sure that you get your, your core characters the right way. And I think throughout this, this comic, the core characters are great. Um, you know, even the core supporting characters. Um, you know, one thing I did notice specific to this issue um, that I felt was less of an issue in 789 and 790 was uh, I did feel that there certain elements of the story kind of fell into that old Dan Slott um, habit. And I know he'll go on social media if he heard us say this and say, how could you criticize me for doing this? But I felt that there were elements of too much story trying to be told in this comic, like that there was too much kind of being squeezed into the confines. Like we were getting a lot of new characters being introduced, both heroes and villains and supporting cast people, you know, whereas the first two issues of this arc, there was kind of this very well-paced organic flow to how we were transitioning from beat to beat and from character to character here a lot of it kind of just felt like rapid fire and things just kind of not really landing because you know we really weren't fully immersed in who some of these new characters were and and that was a little disappointing for me yeah i do feel that i think the person that gets the shortest shrift is this kind of new tech guy that gets introduced and and kind of literally sent out on a jet at the end of the issue. Um, you know, he's just kind of forgettable. He feels like a plot beat to get, you know, not only like, you know, a uh, Mockingbird story moving forward, but also give something for Peter to do and get Harry uh, and Liz into a new building. Um, and I don't really, like, mind it because it does move so many of those plots forward, but it does feel like this weirdly insignificant bump you know to kind of introduce a whole new character just for that um and you wrote something really great in your review that like you felt like if he was seated through the three issues it would probably have would have landed a little stronger yeah i mean because like all in the span of one issue i mean we're, we're introduced to this character we learned that he's a rival of peter's in terms of tech we learned that he's like kind of not moving in on his girl per se, but like because of Bobby getting this job with him is kind of creating this tension there. Uh, you know, then it's, then we find out that he's doing like very nefarious things with the technology in terms of kidnapping the, what is it? The, the intelligence of this other villain to, to, to power these little, um, I almost call them R2-D2. Oh, that's so last generation of me. Yeah, Peter uh, refers to them as BB-8s. Yes, I would say BB-8 droid things. Um, it's just a lot. And, and it just, you know, in the midst of all this, we're also meeting Peter's new science team. And we're getting moments between Peter and Robbie, which, let it be said, I thought the Peter Robbie sequences in this issue were brilliant. I love them. I love I love that banter. It, it just felt very at home and old school, but in a good way. Like like the relationship is still evolving. It's not like stuck in the past per se, but yet there's a familiarity to it that 
just made me want to keep reading more of these two characters together. Can um, we say for a hundred percent certainty that Robbie knows Peter is Spider-Man? I think that's going to continue to be the great mystery that everyone thinks they know is true, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, it that it, way. I like it. It doesn't that way. matter. I yeah. think that's the point. It doesn't matter because Robbie is a man of integrity and principle and it doesn't, he's going to do what he's going to do because he thinks it's right regardless of who Peter is, who Spider-Man is and all that. And I think Peter's, either obliviousness to it or even suspicion of it it doesn't it, it just still doesn't matter it doesn't change who these characters are and i like that yeah me too i thought that play back and forth was really great and i love the criticisms that his new co-workers lay at his feet that he's this sympathy hire only to be reinforced by robbie moments later and you know that moment where robbie's like you know oh peter let's do lunch and then it leaves the scene is an ind- great indication of how this book is working. You know, it's it's a almost lyrical back and forth. You know, it's this wonderful interplay of dialogue that then leaves it leaves the scene at the exact right moment, and and it's just fun. And I was like, this is a writer who's really got his mojo back, or is working with a team of people that know how to produce a comic with him, with like an incredible economy. Uh, for you know what they're doing, and 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 I, it it is remarkable that that this is the same writer that wrote you know whatever thirty whatever issues of volume three and and four. It, it it's unbelievable. It's the same guy. Yeah, I mean it. It's it's kind of amazing. I mean, legacy is truly. I feel bringing out the best in the old guard of characters here. I mean, it's it's like. I, I don't know if this is by mandate or not, but, you know, I, I, I do feel that Marvel is like, you know, after years of really trying to push the envelope is is, you know, like saying, no, no, let's 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 really acknowledge what made these characters favorites or fan favorites. And I mean, we're just getting it in abundance here. I mean, this these issues in their own kind of modern way feel very akin to like the defalco friends days or the stern jrjr days like it's just like that kind of rhythm and swagger like i think you use at one point here i mean like there's a swagger to these stories that there hasn't been and and you know swagger is not always equates to confidence because i feel like dan slot is a very confident storyteller whether we always agree with his confidence is another story but here it's like there's there's just kind of like you said there's a rhythm and a swagger to things that it's just making things click and and the little details too i i want to highlight this because like this is the kind of weird joy and and i wish writers would really realize this and i i get i'm putting a lot of it on Stuart Immen and he's that it's the little joys that make these books fun to read. I don't know if you saw these things and were as tickled by them as mm-hmm. I was, but like Peter's giddy face for his job, the kind of boyishness of that. Uh, the I loved, and this is such an inexplicable thing. I loved the plaid interior of his shoes when we saw them on his <laughs> bed, that kind of red and black plaid interior. It's like, of course he would hide his Spider-Man-ness in a bit of a way in his shoes of all places. 
And right. then the, the image of him relaxing in his office, balancing a pencil on his finger perfectly. It's like, wow, what a what a confidence this character has too to like just enjoy himself uh, and express himself in such little ways. I love reading this. Yeah. And I mean, you know, props to Eminent for once again, just bringing it every issue. Um, I mean, you know, we talked about how Peter and, and Mockingbird were presented artistically on the cover. But like, again, there's just something to how Eminent draws these characters. And there's, you know, both these characters look great together, but there's nothing I feel like over too stylized about it. If you catch my drift, it's just they 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 they, they look natural and they're making very humanistic faces and expressions and there's just a lot of like affection that's coming through and and I think that's part of the reason why you know after kind of this storyline between the two of them not going anywhere I feel like over the last few months it's finally starting to pick up steam I think in large part because of how Eminem draws it you know yeah, absolutely. Uh, like the chemistry, the chemistry is more palatable because it's artistically. There's more chemistry artistically. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of it, and um, I, and I think the writing is good too. I love this kind of um, uh, like gender politics stuff that's going on in this issue. Like it's kind of playful, um, you know, and, and the kind of ways that you're feeling out a relationship and what people's roles are in the relationship and and uh, like what are kind of safe lines to cross and. And things like that. Uh, the the play with um, quicksand, where he thinks it's Sandman, and realizes it, it's it's actually a woman, and and Mockingbird is quick to remind him, not everything is about you. Um, and and right. it's also kind of a dig on like, you know, how everything is about men in these books. And uh, I think this kind of r- continuing um, reference back to this kind of feminist. Uh, 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 these feminist ideas, I think, is really like a plus for this book and this relationship. It gives it a kind of like, maybe not danger, but like there's a uh, mockingbird feels more headstrong than a lot of uh, romance, uh, you know, our romantic leads than, than we've seen in Spider-Man book in quite a while. Right, and and I feel like also a lot of the 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 gender politics that you're talking about, like it it. it toes the line but never crosses the line of being heavy-handed like there's always still kind of a tongue firmly in cheek in some of these things you know what i mean like it's and i think that's important because i think i mean the fact of the matter is some of this stuff is going to alienate or or more aptly annoy or tick off certain readers and whatever that's just going to happen no matter what because you know stick stick to sports right you know what i mean (laughs) but but you know like putting those people putting those readers aside i mean there's still there's still a risk in, in in going too far into um you know the social politics of some of this and 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 to this point i feel like it hasn't crossed that line yet i feel like it's it's been good-natured but still with a message that is important and and that's i think that's good for comic books in 2017 right yeah i don't think it ever feels political like it's always like fun it's always poking fun um but it's never punching down or um getting preachy it's just 
you know, like uh, people acknowledging it. And and if right. if acknowledgement is too far for you, then like good luck <laughs> in this world. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, to me, it's all been, it's all brought a smile to my face um, because, you know, we can, I mean, we definitely in this day and age should be poking fun of men and, 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 and their role in the world. Uh, and why not do that in the pages of a comic in, in a, in a tongue in cheek way? Right. Plus, you know, where else can we hear about Spocking Bird as a thing? <laughs> yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that that's that's got to stick around. Spocking bird, uh, I'm I'm all for. Yeah, and and I mean in terms of the status quo, where where we seem to be headed, where Peter is the science editor, this seems like a good fit, right? This seems like I mean it's akin to him being the high school teacher. I think like this is one of the better outside Spider-Man positions. I mean I'm sure he'll screw it up somehow. But for now, it seems nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to kind of get him involved in things. And it seems like a natural thing. And Dan Slott's whole science angle with Peter, you know, it's totally fitting for this ongoing narrative. I do wonder if it continues to box him in to doing these, like, you know, like, Spider-Man science stories that we've gotten, like, a lot of in volume four of the book. Um, like, even this issue is very much like a... Oh, it's Peter and a tech magnate again. Um, and I thought going into this kind of more relaxed status quo would move us away from Peter and the constant tech stuff. I'm okay with it. You know, I just like hope that it's not every issue that we're getting stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, it didn't that element didn't bother me here because I kind of feel like we still have some loose ends to tie up in regards to Parker Industries and certainly kind yeah. of seeing like a rival kind of picking the carcass of Parker Industries. There's there's both a a natural progression that comes with that, but also a natural humor that comes with that. So um that didn't bother me. But I, I, I get what you're saying. But um the the kind of reliance that Slot has put on science in these books, going all the way back to big time. I mean this is not a new thing. I I I think it's appropriate. I, I you know, it it kind of goes back to even the whole thing with what Bendis did in Ultimate, where you know Peter was not the the photographer, but like the 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 web the web intern. Like you know, like this is an essential part of who Peter is as a character, his science background, and yet we seem to spend big portions of the character's history ignoring that. Yeah, I I agree too, and yeah, I mean, like, what's better for Peter than science-based villains, you know, science gone wrong, you know, like that's, that's most of his best villains. Even the, even the green goblin is, uh, is from something like that. Um, I did have a couple of questions though about the daily bugle. Since when did the daily bugle get its skyscraper space back? Like I thought that they were still occupying the frontline offices. Did some radical change happen at post secret wars that the daily bugle has now the newspapers are back, Mark. They're a popular medium again. I guess I don't know. I mean, I, did, did Peter buy a new skyscraper for them? At you know, when he became a billionaire, I mean, that would that would be that would affect the bias of the reporting, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, to me, it seems like maybe it was an imminent thing where he maybe hadn't read or been because they haven't really addressed it that much recently. Like what's going on with the Daily Bugle. 
But like, as far as I know, they were just a small frontline office on the base level of a building. I guess the last time we really saw them in detail was that like ages ago Hobgoblin story um, yeah. where Phil Urich was kind of revealed to be publicly be the Hobgoblin. Is that the real last visit to the Daily Bugle we've had? It might be. Yeah, I can't think of because I don't think we did much at the Bugle during volume four. Yeah. So I'm going to say yes. Yeah. And as far as I remember, it was just like a like a an open office grid. So I'm curious, is the Daily Bugle a skyscraper again? Um, and lastly, uh, what do you, do you think we're getting menace back again? Is that what this ending is teasing? It's funny. I didn't even think menace. I was wondering if we were getting more stuff with Norman maybe, but Oh, he's like I'm, stealing their blood so that he can get his powers back. Yeah. That's kind of where I, where my brain, but menace is a, a possibility too. So, yeah, she doesn't seem to be too far behind in a lot of these um, Norman stories recently. So stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. So, Mark, what is your ultimate grade for this issue? I, I gave this a solid B. I, again, I, I, I feel that this is it's, – it's, it's, a, it's a good B. <laughs> um, you know, maybe, maybe the, the, curve is, the curve is being lowered. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'll give it a B too. I was going to go a little higher, but I, I, I'm in a B. Uh, yeah, the curve, the curve is relaxed a bit, but uh, and you can criticize us all you want about that, but uh, I, I'm really digging this stuff. And uh, to me, it feels like brand new day redux. Like there is a uh, new breath in this series, you know, and 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 we're back to basics, but. It feels more exciting than ever. So um, take it that for what you will. Yeah, I'm with you, Dan. I mean, this is this is the best this book has been consistently, probably since we first started the show. Well, that's it for now, at least until the end of the Venom Inc. stories that's running from Venom Inc. Alpha to Venom Inc. Omega. Oh, look at that. What an interesting thing they set up there. <laughs> well, if you want to keep up with these exciting stories right alongside Mark and I, again, why not join our Patreon club? It's only the price of a comic a month, and it will help Mark and I continue creating all the awesome content. Plus, we've already reviewed over half of the Venom Inc. storyline, and you can jump right in and enjoy all those episodes, plus the over 25 others we've recorded throughout the year. And even better than that, Mark and I have just recorded an episode about the Red Goblin, our, our famous uh, hotline that's become canon, seemingly. And also, uh, we had a brief discussion about Dan Slott's uh, suspected announced departure from the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. So if you want to join us for that conversation, just check it out on Patreon. Either way, I hope you enjoyed this special bonus episode. And Dan and I will see you soon for an announcement featuring all the details about season two of the show. So, Dan, speaking of which, where can we find you on the Internet? Yeah, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at SupSpiderTalk and read all of my writing and reviews on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Mark, how about yourself? You could, of course, find me at ChasingASMblog on Twitter. And please, please order my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Dan, even though uh, 
you know, this is not a Patreon episode. Uh, perhaps we should share that that sage old advice from Uncle Ben, right? Do you do you agree? No, not really. Oh, you caught me at a bad time, Mark. I'm not well, really I'm in the say, mood for sage advice. I'm going to say it anyway. With great podcasts must also come the all new amazing spider talk.